Okay, so uh, what we're going to do this next session is we're actually recording this for a podcast for, for Metis Ministries. Uh, just really asking the question, why Metis? What is the point? Uh, what are we trying to accomplish uh, with Metis Ministries? And so we're going to be uh, recording this as a podcast, just speaking into microphones, but that's for the recording. That's us, you know, amplified. So just shout. And so, okay. Um, so let's... Uh, Let's just kick us off by just introducing um, yourselves and be helpful just to know uh, just your, the, the community you're doing ministry in. So the name of the community, name of the church, and what, um, how long you've been there. That might be helpful. So Steve. Sam, thank you. Uh, my name's Steve Walker. I'm pastor at Hope Community Church Middleton. We uh, planted there. It's uh, Middleton in South Leeds. There's apparently there's 49 Middletons in the UK. So um, if you get asked to preach, make sure you don't just put Middleton in the sat now. Um, so, yeah, it's a quite deprived area, it's 30,000 people there, um, so a lot of lost people. Uh, we planted there during the pandemic, we've been uh, in the offing for a few years, um, and we were due to plant in 2020, and so we just thought, well, Lord's sovereign, so we'll just crack on, and so we've been there since. Great, uh, I'm Al Goodrum, uh, I'm in Doncaster, planted, anyone been to Yorkshire Wildlife Park? Yeah, great. So we're near there, right near the airport. It's a former RAF base. Was the second most deprived area in Doncaster, and then they've built basically the same again with uh, middle-class houses. So we now have all the divisions of a town and about 2,500 uh, houses. So we've been there since uh, about what, 2012, um, but the church we planted has been going a bit longer than that. Um, yeah. Uh, my name's Matt Oliver, I'm pastor at Hardwick Baptist Church, so Hardwick is in Stockton which is just the other side of the A19 from Middlesbrough. The church itself has been there since the estate was built uh, in 1959, uh, me and my wife and kids have been there since uh, September 2015. Uh, the area is about 7,000 people, about 3,000 houses, uh, most of it in top kind of 3-4% deprived areas of the UK. Uh, Steve Neal from uh, Oldham Bethel Church. Uh, Oldham's in Greater Manchester. Uh, prior to Middlesbrough taking our crown, we were the most deprived town in England for a long time. Uh, we're in an area of the town called Gloddick. So the, but the borough is 230,000 people, but very segregated. Gloddick is almost 100% South Asian, Pakistani. Uh, but hmm. about 100 yards, there's a park. Uh, the other side of that is a almost 100% white council estate. Uh, yeah, so a highly deprived area. But the church has been there since the 1930s. So it's a, a well-established church. But the makeup of the area has changed over time. And the, the makeup of the church has changed over time. So we're bilingual in our church. have a lot of asylum seekers. So we function in English and in Farsi. Um. So before we get and start talking about some of the, the challenges and the difficulties of ministry in these kind of hard, often forgotten uh, places that you're serving in, uh, we just heard a talk talking about just God invites us in to, to serve him, to make much of him um, in, in these communities. I wonder if maybe a couple of you can just share, when you look back at your ministry in the community you're in, what is something you look back at and see that is just a testimony of God at work uh, that has encouraged you over the last few years? Um, or just a, a testimony of, of God's grace in your own life. Um, so maybe just be worth just starting there so we can dig deep into all the discouraging things. But let's share something encouraging uh, about what you've seen the Lord doing in your communities the last few years. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll go first. I guess the obvious encouragement is seeing people come to faith. 
Um, just looking at our church, we originally started in 2007, I think we've done 12 baptisms since then. That's encouraging. Um, a number of those have come with no Christian background at all. One saved through a teacher, came to a kind of thing at our house, and then that Thursday came to Christ. Um, we've seen various others. Uh, we had a lady come from the estate, get saved. A few weeks later got diagnosed with terminal cancer. Real joy to preach at her funeral. The only funeral where there was no singing, because she was like, there will be a hundred and something people, but not a single one of them will know a hymn. Mm. I've never preached to a room with 45 squaddies stood at the back because there was no seating for them. And every one of them wanted to buy you a drink at the <laughs> bar afterwards. Um, I didn't take them up on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, just great testimony of grace, uh, great opportunity to, to hear that. I think mm. also it's the thing God does in you, isn't it? So just the lessons you learn that you can't do it. You haven't got the strength. All your ideas go out of the window. Um, and you just, you do have to get on your knees, like Nathan said. Yeah. Um, and wrestle with it. And then you need other people to tell you to stop being a muppet and get back on your knees. Because um, yep. you can't do it. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. The... Yeah. Um, so personally, just uh, seeing God sustaining uh, through uh, in, in my ministry, it's, yeah, it's been rock hard. People tell you it's going to be hard to plant in these areas so thankfully I had that blessing particularly 20 schemes weekenders and stuff like that um, so we didn't go in completely naive but even when you go in with that expectation you're like oh my goodness it's, <laughs> it's even harder than that um, so um, yeah it's um, that's been uh, an encouragement to see the Lord Jesus grow me and other people uh, as well we've definitely grown I think that's one of the things you, you can go in there thinking right we need to share Jesus with people, see people uh, saved, which is the right thing, but also, yeah, just that, um, that kindness to, to make us realise that, yeah, he's, he's not finished with us. We've mm -hmm. got a lot to, to, to learn and grow into. Also, uh, an encouragement, um, when we planted in lockdown, um, a lot of people have said to us, oh, well, that you can't ask for a harder start. Uh, yeah, the, it brought its challenges. But I think it's just encouraging as well that, through lockdown, we actually met a lot more people, ironically, mm. because um, when it first kicked off, we just went to the neighbours and kind of said, oh, we've just moved in, uh, if you need anything, etc." And uh, in our community, um, where people are a bit suspicious of outsiders and a bit closed off, and what are you talking to me for, why are you knocking on my door? That was just a, a nice little way, which didn't seem weird. And so now we've built up quite a few kind mm. of friendships and stuff as a result, so that's positive. Yeah, I, I mean, si similar really, except the difference being coming into a church that was already there, already had a building uh, on the estate that was, I guess, visible and had been there for quite a long time. To come into that was was slightly different, coming in knowing that the vast majority of people don't live on our estate. They, they travelled in, some for theological reasons, some because they did live there and then they moved out. Um, We've had, a, we've had a few people move onto the estate, buy houses on the estate to move in to be in the community, which is a massive encouragement, something we prayed for when we first arrived, um, and, and, and God has blessed us with that. But other people, seeing people who have come um, back to church, so maybe we're in the church as teenagers, wandered away, but then God has, God has drawn them back, and just seeing how he has graciously transformed their lives has been wonderful. So. Mm there are a couple of people in particular who come to mind I've not mentioned them in case they listen to this and get embarrassed but um, just seeing how God has drawn them back to himself uh, grown them through, through lots of different challenges lots of different uh, experiences but who are now faithfully serving him uh, and yeah, walking with him in a way that 
10, 15 years ago, mm. I guess their, their parents, in some cases, who were also in the church, just maybe would never have imagined. Um, so that's been, that's been a real encouragement to see. Yep. But, it, but it, it's time, isn't it? It takes, it doesn't, doesn't happen quick. Nathan was saying yep. that earlier. It, it's, it's slow. It needs God to sustain us. And it needs us to be patient. Uh, with, with his timing on that and so that's then again one of the one of the challenges but joys of seeing God work in that way yeah we, we found um, great encouragement during the lockdown so we, we like Graham was saying it's very easy isn't it to get wrapped up in what we're doing and think it all depends on us and I just think the Lord smashed that out of us mm. gave us a lockdown all your programs everything you were doing is gone and we were seeing conversions during that time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You just think, if there's ever a proof that it's not anything to do with us, uh, yeah. that was it, right? Yeah. Even to the point, I mean, we, we're only a little church. We're um, obviously deprived community, all, all, all those things we'll probably talk about in a minute. But, you know, in the lockdown, we managed to go and plant another church mm. in a, another deprived community up in Rochdale, just north of us, uh, in an almost identical community. So, again, um, lockdown's not the time you'd necessarily choose to do that, is it? But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the Lord's still at work, isn't he? Even when we don't think we can do what we want to do, we don't think we're able to do the things yeah. we, we would like to do. Um, yeah, clearly the Lord is still, still working. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes often in areas of deprivation, poor communities, you see sometimes clearer to see evidence of the Lord at work because it's obvious that nothing else caused that. Um, you know, and so to see real life transformation happening in front of us, even though it does take time and can be years before you see it. But when you see it, it's, in, it's un, undeniably the work of the Lord um, in that moment. And so um, now we, we know each other because we're all part of Medist. Um, we've known each other for the last few years uh, through just different ministries. And we started Medist about a year ago, so we're part of the, uh, the, the, the trustees on Medist. And uh, so I want to think about you know, the purpose of Medist, why we're accomplishing it. And there are three things that we talk about. One is um, support. And so being a support to one another, uh, but also raising support others, training, contextually relevant uh, training for ministry in areas of deprivation. And then funding, uh, just the, the perennial problem uh, that, we, that we at least identify and need to respond to. Let's just talk about the issue of support first. So um, e each of us in the context we're in, kind of every year you want to quit. Every year you want to walk away, every week, um, every month. Um, you want to walk away. So what is it that, um, what has helped you to persevere? Uh, why are you still in the game? Why didn't you walk away or quit? Maybe you're about to, uh, but why are you still in the game? What are some things you can point to? What else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so basically you're unemployable. I am so, entirely unemployable. So, Look yeah. at me. <laughs> But, yeah, not really, what else, what else would you do? You know, it's when, what Jesus says to his disciples, isn't it? You know, are you going to go as well? Do you know what I mean? You say, well, where are we going to go? You yeah. know, and I, I think that just yeah. keeps you going, isn't it? I've got, I've got nothing better to do with my time. I've got nothing, <laughs> genuinely. I've got nowhere else to go, nowhere else to be. I, I, and when you, when you remember what Jesus has done for you, remember what you're actually working for, which is the cause of the gospel, what else would you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, so just f from example, recently, I think, why am I still here? Because the Lord has sustained. I, I genuinely think, well, I know, without that, I, yeah, I'd have, been, I'd have been gone. I'd be somewhere else. I'd be a postman, mm. something like that. I mean, I'd, I'd find a job that I could do that didn't have the same level of mental stress, 
emotional stress, family, you know, challenges, all that kind of thing. I think without without the Lord's sustaining hand, that that's that's why we're still here. Um, and I think not just directly the Lord sustaining in in ways that you think you look back and think, yeah, how did I get through that? That week was horrendous, but God must have been sustaining me. How I I, I don't know. You know, supernaturally mm. God has done that, but equally through other people. So. It has, for me, been a massive blessing. And I'm not just saying this because he's in the room, but having Ian not far away from us, having Nathan not far away from us, has been huge. So being able to, you know, meet with them and just not lament and whinge or, or grumble, but be able to come and say, "How on earth do we do this? Like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Well, how are we going to get through this? You know, what did you do? Have you had this before?" And be able to talk that through with somebody else is. Is, is massive because otherwise it can feel like you know people put their best stuff forward don't they on Facebook and on Twitter and at conferences and you just think man is everybody else having it easy and, and we're yeah. having it hard? and and, yeah. and I think just that that honesty and openness and just a genuine thing of being able to come and say yeah the week, this week's been horrendous the last month's been horrendous the, you know I'm not sure what, what it's going to look like in six months time and knowing that somebody else goes yeah I've been there but God God's grace keeps yep. us is, is huge. So. Yes, it is that conviction, isn't it? That actually, the gospel is the only power to change the world one life at a time. So every broken person that rings or gets in contact, that, that is the answer. So when a lady ringed me the other week in tears, ended up in A&E with her, she was suicidal. What's her only hope? Her only real hope is the gospel. Um, but actually, there are times you don't feel like that's the only hope. You know, after four and a half hours there listening to all sorts, you come away drained and exhausted. Uh, and that's where actually, just being able to text some of these guys and just say, look, could, could you pray? Uh, literally, I was in A&E and I texted them. Just, just pray. I don't want to be here at four in the morning. Just pray that we get some help. And knowing that folks were praying, folks following up the next day. We did some time away in September. Uh, we had a bit of a retreat. Uh, and that was brilliant. Um, I got back and my boy's comment was, Dad, you've not been that buzzing about ministry mm. for probably about 15 years. Mm. One, that was a little bit sobering for me, <laughs> okay, but actually it just shows the importance of having a team of folks around us we can go to. And when something comes up as a curveball, there's always someone you can go to for some help. He can give you some advice or he can just give you a gospel kick up the backside. Yeah, amen. Yeah, um, obvious answer to keep me going is Lord Jesus, um, particularly in Hebrews, has seen uh, his humanity and his priesthood. Um, as I've gone through the last couple of years, um, just seeing, yeah, just that, that recognition that there's nothing that I'm tempted with that he's uh, not faced, um, especially kind of discouragements, perhaps uh, other believers, um, people you're discipling, or opposition from outside. Um, and yeah, like Al said, it's just an encouragement as well to have that tangible encouragement from brewers who are going through the same kind of things. And uh, when you think, oh, am I a bit odd? Like say, that, that comment you said at the start might shock some people to think, mm -hmm. oh, I'm, you, every year you're thinking about jacking it. It's, it's probably more frequent than that, to be honest. But um, you, um, yeah, but you think, oh, am I the only one like am I equipped for this? No, I'm not equipped, so should I get out of this? But then you, you kind of realise, actually, we're all in the same boat. This isn't yep. an unusual temptation. Yep. I think it's, so you mentioned the retreat that we had last year, and Lord willing, we'll have again this year. Uh, uh, it doesn't take much just to get you know, a group of guys together who are doing ministry in a similar context. It doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't take much 
there's very little planning involved. But the impact of that is so significant, and the effect of that. Um, when we think about the, the work of 20 schemes and in Scotland, uh, some of the questions I've got asked is, what does success look like? Um, well, it's the fact that our guys are still there. The fact they didn't leave. The fact that they're still persevering in the ministry. There may still just be 10 people with them, or 15 people uh, gathering. But five years, there's still a gospel light in that community. And, and that, it's just a different kind of metric that we're kind of measuring. Success is, is just being faithful to remain. Um, and so, um, so support, encouraging each other, making time to actually uh, get, get out of your own ministry and be aware that there are other people struggling as well and being a support to them also um, of, in like-minded communities, like similar, similar places. Some things that we do as well is, is we, we learn from each other. We learn often from the mistakes that we've made. Uh, so, uh, so we talked about perseverance, talked about uh, just your own community, but let's think about just some of the mistakes you've made. If you could, if there was one thing you did, looking back at your ministry the last few years, said, man, I wish I didn't do that. Or if I could do that over. Um, Think back to you. What is something you just kind of point to? Start. <laughs> Do it. Go on, I'll, I'll start. Um, so when, when I came into our church, it was um, <laughs> it became clear it, it was more of a revitalization job, I guess, than I probably realized going, mm. going into it, but it's what it was. I, I had a pretty clear sense of um, what I thought needed to change and, and the 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 polity and the structures and the things in the church that needed to be put in place. Uh, I, I think I probably pushed that too quickly. Um, I, I was very clear with the church before they appointed me that was what I was going to do. But I think if I was doing that again, I would have taken a bit longer to, mm. to teach through it, to, to talk about it a bit more. Uh, we, we did that quite early and, and quite quickly, um, which has had benefits, but I, I think looking back it probably would have helped to go yeah. much slower with some of that stuff yeah it's pretty common it's a common mistake to make um, it's funny as you were saying that I was like that is exactly the thing I was going to say I think there's looking back there are times I can think we, we I communicated something well and then it was easy to make that transition and other ones where I thought I communicated it well because I was thinking yeah I've, you know I've, I've said that, I've said that, I've repeated it, everybody should now be ready to do it, and then go, right, we'll do this, and everybody's going, whoa, you know, that's like a massive change, Where, where's this come from, we don't want to do that, and like thinking, man, what, 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 what went, I think it's, because we're in a similar situation, really, we're an established, established church, and so you go in, and, and there's some things that I think you don't realise are held incredibly tightly, that you don't expect to be, right? Um, and so, just being slow and steady with that is better and almost over communicating to the point where you think there cannot be any doubt in anybody's mind now why or what we're going to do with this even if they don't agree with it at least they, they know what you're hoping to do but there have been some things that i've thought were minor that turned out to be actually quite major mm. um and just meant right that's going to be on the back burner now for a while yeah. <laughs> bring that up again it's going to yeah. cause more yeah. problems than it's worth and distract from the main thing which is seeking to reach the estate of the gospel. So, yeah, I think that would be a, a, a similar mistake in mm -hmm. the revitalization context. Yep. Great. So for us, looking back, probably my biggest mistake was um, wrong expectations as we planted. So we spent ages planning to reach the lost. What we didn't take time to plan was to really pastor well 
those who came with us with Ephes. Mm. And we came up a, a big church, very middle class church. We took a team with us unaware that there were so many issues. We had two divorces in our first six months, which had been rumbling under the surface for five years in the previous church, no one had known. Um, and when you take a team of 25, 10 of whom are kids and you've got 15 and then you get two divorces, mm. another family went back because of pastoral issues. So by our first October, we were down to I think 16, mm. um, six of which was my family. Um, actually just we, we were, just haven't really taken time to go slowly enough to think through really good pastoral care for those who were coming and over focused on reaching those who were outside the church mm. um, and that's that's always a constant battle i think mm-hmm. i mean it's always that temptation to, to to focus on the outsiders and particularly if you're working on your own as, as i've been to lose track of just the pastoral care needs that are going on um, in the church, and that's that's more the case. Seeing folks saved from the estates, and um, both have pastoral needs. The middle class families in our church are less keen to show it, so I need to spend almost more time with them to let them open up and be prepared to be more challenging with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything, Dad? Um, just personally, uh, cases of a church planters who are thinking about planting out. So I, I kind of, um, yeah, it's a bit naive about spiritual warfare, really, in, in terms yeah. of. Um, I walk with the Lord. Um, yeah, so I took my eyes off Jesus a little bit. Just the, the basics of kind of spiritual disciplines and, and knowing that, that Christ is for me. And that, that kind of uh, took its toll, um, not just on me, but also the people I've landed with. I guess, well. Yeah, yep. And these mistakes that you're sharing, I mean, they're pretty common. So revitalization, that's usually what people would say is that um, you know, I didn't take time to learn these people to learn the culture of this church I'm trying um, in them trying to shift that culture move it along and then with, with church planting it's the people you start with um, maybe you took the wrong people <laughs> or didn't take time to really build that team and invest in that team um, or even moving too quickly sometimes the mistake is we move too slowly we just get distracted by the pastoral needs that we lose sight of, um, of the ministry opportunities around us as well uh, and, and again, the benefit of, of ministry like Medalist is it's getting men doing ministry in similar contexts, learning from each other. And so like you say, Matt, you're able to talk to Ian and Nathan and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Am I, am I crazy for thinking about this? And just having others who can speak into that um, share with you. So support training. Um, so who amongst us felt equipped to do the work you're doing? Um, and or, you know, there's very little training out there for ministry in areas of deprivation. So, uh, did you come out of training, Bible colleges or seminaries? Have you, or um, any of you had that experience? And how did it equip you for the work you're doing right now, or did it at all? Um, I didn't go to Bible college at all. Um, I worked with UCCF at Christian Unions for five years, and then I went and worked with Al for three years. So, trained on the job. This was no use at all. <laughs> no, it was very good. It was very good. Um, and then came straight up to Hardwick, so mine was, uh, got no piece of paper, no formal you know, theological training. Uh, much of it has just been through kind of discipleship with, with other people, personal investment, and then on, on the job in reality. Um, but, but even then, there's, contextually, there's very little that was geared at, right, if you're reaching this kind of place. Mm. Um, so I'd heard of 20 schemes, so quite early on, uh, via Ian went up, joined some of their planters training, even though I was in a revitalization context, went to the weekenders with my wife and kids, 
but that was it. That, but that was so we had to then obviously to travel into to Edinburgh, which okay, people yeah. think the north of England is on the border of Scotland, but it's not. It still takes us three hours to drive to Edinburgh. So it's, and I know for some of you it'll be further than that. But but that the fact that that's that was the one place in reality that we knew of that we could get the kind of teaching and understanding and contextual help that we needed just showed that there was a massive lack and so having something that's nearby and local and, and can do that is, is going to be brilliant for anybody starting out now or in a context now who thinks where am I going to go alright mm. there's something nearer yep. Um, yep. yeah most definitely yeah. yeah so I did some training with Northern Cornell um, a day a week that, that was a helpful grounding for understanding the bible and some other bits and pieces tried very hard not to become a prop trust clone um, but actually then probably my best grounding was being I taught for a few years in a school that fell off still on everything mm. and was in an area of Bolton that was rough and had all sorts of problems and um, ended one Friday in trying to defuse a race right with 60 kids one under one knee one arm up against the wall um, and that kind of got you immersed quite quickly. A lot of those kids had come out of Young Offenders Institutes. Actually, that was brilliant preparation for where we are now. That's God's wisdom. And that helped with some things. Uh, but actually, there's very little training out there. I mean, when, I, when we kind of planted in 2007, all the training around church planting was mm -hmm. Tim Keller's church yep. planting manual. Yep. Um, it was all, all that kind of stuff, which is all city-based. Yep. Um, actually, very little relevance for, for what we did. So there's a real need for that, uh, yeah. definitely. Yep. Well, then just some of the, the pastoral challenges, you know, being equipped to speak into issues of you know, addiction and mental health issues and abuse. Um, you know, think about the analysis of how you felt equipped or trained to do this kind of work. Yeah, I mean, I've got an academic master's degree in theology um, that's been of no value. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what to tell you about that. I mean, I, I, my thesis was on, like, the politics of Northern Ireland and evangelicals <laughs> in the politics of Northern Ireland, which I've been asked about never. Um, so, yeah, it, it, valueless, in, in all honesty. Um, yeah. uh, like Al, I, I had a very, very brief career as a teacher, uh, and I taught in um, failing schools in North Liverpool. Uh, that was probably more valuable to me anything I did academically but mm -hmm. um, yeah I, I, there just hasn't been training I've received that was of any great great help it's it's all been on the job yeah yeah and would you say based on your experience particularly over the last four five six years that you've been more equipped by learning from other men doing similar work than the years you spent in kind of the formal academic training I mean that just seems it seems like that's the New Testament model anyway um, but that's more has to be true and that's exactly what, what Medis is trying to do, um, that we, um, through whether it's monthly coaching calls or cohorts or uh, those retreats or events just like this, weekenders, um, that providing those that contextually relevant training and resources uh, for us. What about developing leaders within your own church? Uh, what, what resources have you leaned on to help um, train up indigenous leaders, leaders, converts from your communities to be equipped to do ministry to your community? nothing out there well it's a bit early early days for us we we don't have any kind of indigenous men coming in and yet to us um some of the younger guys already with us planting um their nine mark series has been really good going through the, the little different color books and stuff mm -hmm. like that that's been really really helpful um but also just 
listening to talks and stuff from other guys in our context really has been helpful. I'd say I, I um, benefited from the fact that the guy who was pastor before me stuck around in the church. Mm. Uh, he's now an elder with us. My most valuable resource was him. He, yeah. he's, he's helped yeah. me. Uh, and we're just hoping to sort of emulate that, that model, really. But having the guy there was so, so useful. Yep. Yeah, so we've done, we've done bits and pieces. Obviously, we took Matt on for three years um, with the aim of training him on the job. Um, he can tell you how effective that was or wasn't. <laughs> um, but actually, just, I, I think that's one of the models we want to move on going forward, taking on an assistant who comes, works alongside, learns on the job, and then can go somewhere else. Um, to plant or revitalize. Uh, we, we've kind of developed our own thing. We call it formation from Galatians, the idea of people being formed into being like Christ. Um, it's a, a seven year program. Um, we do it on a Sunday night, five to half six, with some food and some, some other stuff. Just, uh, you kind of study Bible overview, and then we work through books of the Bible, and we look at ethical issues, we look at pastoral issues. Um, although that's a work in progress needs a lot of refining mm. just trying to get our guys and girls just trained and thinking through and that's all them together but just led from the front it's yep. quite intensive an hour and a half and there's 45 minutes of work to do before and 45 mm. minutes of work to do afterwards mm. um, but it's not reading based it's discussion based right um, and we try right. and refer to video resources and all sorts of stuff yep so. yep um no one I think one of the things why the kind of the traditional kind of Bible college seminary model fails is often it requires people leaving a community to go and get trained somewhere, uh, which is, you know, doesn't work for a context like ours. And it's, it's being trained by people who aren't from your community to apply these truths in a way that doesn't work in your community. And so it's, there's a le several layers of inadequacy. Um, but I think the apprenticeship model, really what you're describing is kind of learn on the job, um, uh, learns kind of side by side, uh, still teaching the same depth of theology, no less robust, uh, but it's just distilled or, or packaged in a different way that's much more in community contextually driven uh, from that. And so, again, you know, Meta's seeking to uh, at least share models of that, model that well to each other and, and uh, uh, plug people into those opportunities where they exist. And hopefully that may be more formalized in time. Um, and then producing good resources. Um, and so the little booklets, the, the resources provided, the events uh, that we can bring people to. So finally, the so training, support, um, and then funding. Um, uh, you know, the, the perennial problem of ministry in a hard place is often ministry in an area of deprivation is more costly. Um, it's, it's always going to rely to a degree on external support. Um, and the traditional kind of funding model for church plants is short term. Um, over a period of time and there better be some results at the end of the day um, and whereas ministry in context of de deprivation it's got to be long term and the results are going to look different and so the way we assess the effectiveness of funding may look different I want to share some examples of how that's been done well like think of some of the people who funded you have been supporting you and what does a healthy relationship look like with a donor church or a donor organization I'm going to start this because the other guys will have a very different experience this to me. So for us, we slightly uniquely where we are, because a lot of people don't live on our estate but come to the church for theological reasons. Financially, we're actually quite well off for a church in a deprived community. But what that has enabled us to do, 
over the course of time, particularly through being connected with Medhurst, is go look. We we want to we want to invest that well here in um, trying to train people up through that, take on people who we can send out in other places, but equally to try and then meet the needs of others in the context we're in who don't have that who in this point in time don't have that particular blessing really god has been very gracious to us financially but we've what we've tried to do and try to encourage the church to do is think well how can we use that to give that away mm. to other people um partly because again having conversations with ian um and, and nathan over the course of time reality that trying to convince people to, to fund or show them the need of that is hard work whereas we're going we know what it's like we're in the same kind of context we understand that for you guys you're kind of living week to week wondering whether it's going to continue and so you know because we'd already had that relationship built I had a conversation with Ian um, it must be a few years ago now wasn't it and he said you know this is where we're at and so we we went back to our church and said look we, we've we've got money sat in our bank account these guys if they don't get any money they'll not be here come summer you know mm. actually maybe we are the means god has put in their you know their lives to be able to do that and and so we were able to help kind of connect that through and again i'm not saying that to, to praise our church in any particular way but but that's one of the things hopefully for us we can be a blessing in that way because that is the reality i mean we were sat there and it's like yeah i mean could be by easter I'm looking for I'm looking for another job and we're showing yeah. everything up. Yeah. So that was. We'd hope that'd be the model for every yeah. church. Every church is, has a spirit of generosity that we're seeking to to bless each other. Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, I mean, we we've had to do a lot of fund fundraising in order to keep ourselves going. Um, we we see people coming to faith, but because a lot of them are asylum seekers, they will come, be with us for a short time, and then they'll end up moving on or out of the area. So though we're seeing fruit it's not fruit that leads to people joining your church and mm. even if those people do stick and stay they're not wealthy right. guys who are able to give so we've done lots of fundraising but what we've been able to do i don't i don't think because we're a poorer deprived place we're sort of freed from the call to give and, and to be generous and so we've made links with other uh, we, we give to another medhurst church um mainly because at the time we we'd built up contacts we built up uh, a network I mean we're, we're still not self-supporting but we felt like they didn't have those same things so we were able to share that with them so yeah I totally agree with, we're not we're not freed from that call to give and be generous mm -hmm. just because we're poor yep yep um, any kind of positive experiences of working with uh, funding agencies or churches yeah so the church that we planted from have been very generous they've paid a quarter of my salary um, and a bit more initially the whole way through. That doesn't mean we don't still have a budget deficit. I think I was chatting to our uh, treasurer. I think he thinks there are six months when we've not had a budget deficit in the whole time we've been going. Hmm. Um, and there are a number of times where you get, so you've got maybe three three months worth of money left. Um, but we just, you know, we're, we're not afraid of asking folks for gifts. We've had a number of generous people and um, individuals have given. So we had a ministry trainee, somebody funded his whole two years. Hmm. Um, just one individual from the church who could afford to do that at that time um, we've had to think creatively when we took Matt on he had to supply some of his own funding I went begging for some funding we challenged some folks in church to give but uh, it's that thing isn't it we can see folks saved off the estates and they're not going to come with they're going to come with needs we've got so we've currently just in Doncaster to be some refugees into a local hotel so we've now got some Iranian refugees coming you know, those folks have needs. We need to spend time and energy and, and give to them. 
Um, and it is that constant thing, isn't it? And I've always got in my mind, okay, if I have to go and drop a day a week, that's fine. I can pick up some teaching work or, or whatever mm. else. And mm. that's not the end of the world. That's not failure. That might just be what ministry looks like for a period of time. Yep. Slight change in funding, but um, people as well. Um, so yeah. the encouragement is our yeah. sending church. Um, they sent elders, um, staff members, musicians, preachers, obviously. So although there was only 10 of us, um, they were really um, quite key people that the, the sending church kind of gave up. Um, and, yeah, I think some people would say maybe too generous. Uh, yeah. But um, that, that's been a huge blessing. And, yeah. and also financially as well from them. Yep. Yeah, people and money, those are the two things that um, kind of keep any kind of church going um, and both often come with the, with, with the other. And so, uh, again, Meadows, we're, we're trying to really shine a spotlight on these. These are uh, good, solid, healthy, gospel-centered works happening in these communities that need real, genuine partnership. And that partnership comes both internally, where we're supporting each other um, through our own generosity, but also prayer and encouragement, but also may come externally. Uh, churches out with our communities or even out with this nation uh, seeking to come alongside and partner with um, the work and so that's the vision for Medist um, that would be able to catalyze that kind of partnership development globally uh, for the work in the UK um, and so prayer give and then come maybe move into a place to join one of our, our teams and so that's uh, that's why Medist right and that's why we why exist why we started this ministry um, and that's why this Weekender is, is happening that we can catalyze this amongst ourselves as well, even in our own community. So some quick immediate ways to follow up is if, uh, if you're part of a church that is doing ministry in an area of deprivation um, and you think, yeah, actually, I want to be a part of this, then um, just connect with us, connect with uh, Ian and uh, Medist online and maybe think about becoming a, a Medist uh, church plant. Um, or if you're listening or, or here and you want to partner with a church in the UK, that's doing ministry in the area of deprivation, then we'd love to connect you um, relationally with one of our church planters or church revitalization works um, uh, for the long term as well. Um, and so uh, continue to pray for the work of Medist, come alongside it. Um, and there's a bunch of resources as well, uh, books that are um, being produced, whether it's 20 Schemes or Acts 29 Church on Places, the coaching cohorts. We're just trying to connect areas of guys doing ministry in areas of deprivation, women who are part of those teams as well, the other women in those communities, um, and to do that well. So it's the beginning of that. Hopefully the Lord um, will honor that and bless that and see churches revitalized and planted across the UK.